0: Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode twenty five recorded thursday march twenty first two thousand and nineteen. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Vitreo Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. In this episode, our 4th of 2019, we are joined by Martha Schumacher, Principal at Hazen Inc. and Chair of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP. Emma Luzzi, Principal at Blue Sky Philanthropy in Toronto. Kieran Dollywall, Efficiency Consultant at Ray of Light Consulting in Calgary. And Ken Lee McQuelo, Vice President, Marketing Communications at YMC at Calgary. Our topic diversity and inclusion in the nonprofit sector. It is only since the 1960s that the words and ideas behind diversity and inclusion have been increasingly talked and thought about. Today, those words, diversity and inclusion, are most often used together. This has only been the case since in the early 1990s. From Me Too to Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, to many other activities and movements. Those at the vanguard of the diversity and inclusion movement are making progress, but who is being left behind and why? Join us as we hear from four amazing leaders and fundraisers, all of whom have lived experience with diversity and inclusion.
1: It's time for the Brain Trust Philanthropy podcast. Welcome to episode 25 of Brain Trust Philanthropy powered by Vitreo. This is our fourth episode of 2019. Our topic Diversity and Inclusion in the Nonprofit Sector. We have four amazing leaders with us today. They're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. Let's get started. First, joining us from Alexandria, Virginia, we have Martha Schumacher. Martha is the current chair of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP. I've known Martha for a number of years. One of my many memories of Martha was when she joined Andrea McManus, myself, and Bernard Ross for an intimate dinner at the Three Ravens restaurant at the BAM Center. It was lovely and it was a memorable evening. Since getting to know Martha, I've also stumbled across her father, Hazen Schumacher. Hazen Schumacher was a radio broadcaster who hosted the popular Jazz Revisited show on NPR and Michigan Radio for 30 years. He is widely credited with exposing an entire generation of American radio listeners to the wonders of jazz. Sadly, he passed away in 2015. I have listened to a couple of his shows. They are amazing. Martha, there is a great picture of your father in his studio. He's surrounded by his crew, and I think you're actually in that picture. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that picture and what was your role in the crew.
2: Thank you so much, Vincent. Um, And, boy, I can't imagine a better way to be introduced than to bring my father into the mix because uh, he is a very important part of my life and that picture is a representation of my mother uh, many years ago as well. And uh, the guests who were there that evening to be on the show, what my father would do every uh, month, my mother and father, is they would have folks over for dinner. And essentially that was their pay because then <laughs> their friends who had dinner at the house would then go to the radio station and actually – take phone calls from people calling in to request certain songs. So my job on that show and the reason I'm in that picture is for many, many years, I actually ran records and also did station breaks. So thanks for asking and thanks for bringing that wonderful memory today.
1: Yeah, if anybody, I, I love that memory. And if anybody wants to wants to hear a couple of the sample shows, you can actually find them on the Internet. Just uh, I, Did I say his name right? Hazen?
2: Absolutely yes.
1: Great. Right. So, so you could, you could just H A Z E N and then Schumacher. If you Google that, you can figure that out. So thanks, Martha, for joining us. So glad that we were able to talk a little bit about that. Next, joining us from Toronto, we have Toronto. We have Emma Luzi. I've had the great privilege of working alongside Emma in our roles as volunteers for AFT. In her professional capacity, she is the principal at Blue Sky Philanthropy. In one of her volunteer roles, Emma is also vice president. Equity and Inclusion at the Board of Directors of AFP Greater Toronto. Emma, along with Christian Mehta and many others, was one of the architects of our National Fellowship in Diversity and Inclusion program. Emma, I'm wondering if you could take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about this program.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks Vincent. So. Yes, um, it was very much a team effort, a very collaborative effort, but essentially it's a program that's currently being funded by a generous grant from Canadian Heritage, and it's a fellowship program for emerging fundraising leaders from underrepresented communities. So it runs for a year. We're on our third cohort. And essentially, it's a combination of um, training, professional development, networking opportunity, and the chance to develop a hands-on project that's related to diversity and inclusion in the nonprofit sector. So um, it's a wonderful program. I'll, I'll speak hopefully about it a little more in uh, during the course of our time together because uh, with any luck, we'll actually be opening up for applications again soon. But uh, lots of amazing um, benefits, including the opportunity to – Have an all expenses paid trip to Toronto to come to one of the biggest fundraising conferences in the country here at AFP Congress, as well as a lot of uh, other wonderful opportunities around, uh, around training and, uh, um, and development. So yeah, so it really focuses on both um, developing best practices in inclusion, diversity, equity and access. IDEA is an acronym you might hear throughout this, uh, throughout this podcast as well as developing uh, best practices in philanthropy and fundraising. So it's an awesome program. I'm so honored to be involved and I'm so inspired by all of the fellows and the amazing work they're doing in their organizations and in the sector.
1: Emma, thank you. And thank you for that work. I I know that the program is on its um, maybe the second or third iteration. It was initially uh, done almost within the confines of, of Ontario with a a fairly significant Trillium grant, wasn't it?
3: Uh, it was actually funded in Ontario by the Ontario Ministry of Immigration and Citizenship. Thank you. So, I'm sorry if, yeah, I, if I gave no false,
1: false false props <laughs> there, but that was a huge it was a huge grant, though. Um, Trillium just, also was, does
3: great work, but this yeah it was a it was a very large multi year grant, and it was mm-hmm. um, this is our first year actually rolling out nationally, so it's been a huge year for us because we have. Fellows in BC, Manitoba, um, volunteers in New Brunswick, Ontario, Quebec. So um, it's been incredible to be able to bring the program out across the country. Um, so this is our first year piloting that, um, and it's been you know, it's been a great learning experience, and it's a great opportunity to bring um, you know even more diverse voices to the table from a regional perspective.
1: Okay, and thank you. Joining us from right here in Calgary, we have Kieran Deliwalt. I first met Kieran when Vitreo was honoured with an award, celebrating our commitment to working with employees with disabilities. Kieran was the keynote speaker at the award ceremony. She's an amazing person, a fantastic networker, and a truly gifted public speaker. Kieran, you're also an accomplished IT professional, and from what I can tell, a serial entrepreneur in a number of fields, including, at some time in your recent past, pizza. A few years ago, you started a pizza shop. I think it was called Pizza Master Fusion. I think it's still running. I'm not sure if you're still involved. I know you have moved on uh, from that adventure, but can you take a few minutes and tell our listeners what inspired you to do pizza and what that business was like?
4: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the uh, introduction. Um, yeah, no, the pizza, sh- it's a, it's a funny story, actually. <laughs> so I did open up uh, pizza master fusion. It was a boutique, like an Italian Indian, uh, Uh, Italian and Indian fusion pizzeria. So it was really bringing, you know, the best of both flavors together on a pizza pie. But it was supposed to be a project for my in-laws, like my father-in-law and my dad, because they both retired. And so in coming up with a recipe, they came up with a really flavorful and healthy recipe because they love pizza, but they're both diabetic. Unfortunately, within about two weeks of opening the doors, they were like, you know, this is just something that we don't want to be doing. And I was working full-time at the time. And I'd always told them if, if they didn't want to run it, it was not a problem. I'd figure it out. And so I did. So I ran Pizza Master Fusion for about five years. And four out of the five years, I had a full-time job. So I am labeled as the efficiency queen at work. So I applied those skills to my shop and I was able to manage the business remotely. Uh, for when I was working and then was on site for the last year. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was great. My employees were wonderful. My customers were amazing. And yeah, now on to the next thing.
1: Exactly. And I think even our mayor, Nahed Nenshi, has eaten there. Yes, we were located
4: in Coral Springs and Mr. Nenshi, he, uh, he lives in Coral Springs. So there were many a time that I worked really, really hard, but we would get calls sometimes at 11 o'clock at night. Being like, hey, Karen, are you still open? Can I come pick up a pizza? <laughs> and you would accommodate. He, he, he oh, was great. He loved our pizza.
1: Oh, oh, that's great. Well, thanks for that story, Karen. I know we'll talk about lots of other um, uh, things in the podcast, but I just love that story, and I wanted you to be able to share it. So thank you. Thanks. Finally, also joining us from Calgary, we have Ken Lee Ken and I have been friends and professional colleagues since we worked together at, on YMC Calgary's Power. Power a Potential campaign to build three new YMCAs in Calgary. When we first met, Ken had just been appointed as Vice President for Marketing and Communications for YMCA Calgary. Flash forward to 2019, and Ken has just finished orchestrating the opening of the third of these new YMCAs, the world's largest YMCA located in South Calgary, and this on the heels of opening what was then the world's largest YMCA last year in North Calgary. Whew! been an intensive six years. Nice work. Ken, before we get to hear more about uh, that and your personal commitment to diversity and inclusion, I'm wondering about another one of your passions. Specifically, you are a bit of a political nerd. You have been a (laughs) lifelong friend of Calgary's Mayor Nahed Nenshi, and you are known for your active social media commentary on politics and political issues. Uh, In the the pre-show, this came up. Uh, when Kieran brought it up about what's going on in Calgary, but Ka- Alberta is going to the polls. This must be like Christmas for you. The podcast oh, well, I... one. This one will be posted on <laughs> April the fourth. Albertans and we voting twelve days after that? What are your thoughts?
5: It is a fun time. Like you said, this is kind of a. I grew up a political nerd. My dad, uh, who is a a lovely guy living in Ontario. He was always very interested in politics. I caught that bug very early. Uh, It's funny that Kieran would mention our mayor and his love of pizza. Uh, Sometime after this podcast is recorded today, I'll be meeting with the mayor. So I will mention that I... uh, was on a podcast with the Pizza Queen, which will give me more credibility with his worship. But, yeah, now we're in the throes of what should be a very interesting election cycle. For me, it's about participation. It's about getting my friends or colleagues or anybody who follows me on social to be thinking about the issues, not necessarily the politics. I like the politics of it. I've got lots of friends across the party spectrum, and we're interested in the craft, maybe the dirty craft sometimes, but the craft of – of uh, of political engagement and getting elected but ultimately for me it's about ideas and it's about sharing the vision of what our community should be. So one of the things I've done for instance and I'm doing it again this election is every day um, I'm going to be putting out one question on social media for people to ponder on something to do with strategy or a piece of policy or something that they can engage. It's time to be 28 questions in a row the last federal election was 75. That was a long campaign. But anyway, <laughs> um, it's just a way to uh, really get people engaged and involved. And for lots of people I've heard, uh, it's one way they can check in uh, without getting into the media noise of things and just follow the puck on who's saying what and, and, and what ideas are being floated. If I can do that, I used to be a broadcaster. Now I call myself a narrowcaster. I talk to my friends and, and anybody else that might be interested.
1: Well, with your social media following, I would say you're still a bit of a broadcaster. You have a significant <laughs> following, so uh, well, and we appreciate I've it. Been Thank by, you.
5: I've been blocked by plenty of people. It's
1: great. Oh, you've been blocked by the best <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the worst. <laughs> That's great. Thanks for joining us, TED. Okay, let's get started. Thank you all for joining us on this, our 25th podcast. Our topic is diversity and inclusion. Before 1960, these words and ideas and the ideas behind them were not in wide use. According to Google, usage of the word diversity and the adoption of those ideas behind it has troubled since 1960. A similar growth pattern exists for the word inclusion. Usage of the two terms together, diversity and inclusion, was virtually unknown before 1990. Today, it is common to see these two words regularly paired. In my own life, I have seen a significant and rapid adoption of the underlying need to talk about diversity and inclusion, and more importantly, to begin to make change such that our workplaces, our community structures, and our social spaces are much more diverse and inclusive. From Me Too to Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission to many other activities and movements, diversity and inclusion is on the march. But are we actually making progress? And who is being left behind? Emma, let's start with you. Where are we winning and where are we falling behind?
3: Okay, that's a big question to kick it off. So I often like to think <laughs> back. <laughs> I often I could talk for the whole, our whole time together on this. I often like to think back personally from when I first joined the sector in 1995. And I just like to, you know, celebrate the progress we've made, but also say we still have a lot of change to work towards. Like, If you had told me in 1995 we'd be having these great open conversations about um, about Me Too, about sexual harassment um, in our organizations in the sector, Um, I couldn't have imagined it back in back back in 1995. Um, It was just there just weren't those conversations weren't happening. Um, You know, the sector was very homogenous, um, but those problems do still persist. You know, in terms of, um, w- while you see greater diversity in the sector, um, in terms of, um, race, in terms of sexuality, gender, gender identity, um, ability and disability, um, we still have a long way to go because, you know, what, what you're not seeing is diverse fundraisers in leadership. Um, you know, when I think about leadership, and I think about boards in our in our sector. Um, you know, at some point, the words you know, the great words, uh, pale, male, and stale are probably going to come up. But we still uh-huh. haven't made progress. I do I do I do I win a prize? Um, but yeah, there, right. there, <laughs> there's uh, you know, there's still a, a very a big issue around you know, who's in leadership roles in the sector, uh, both on boards in terms of governance and in terms of, you know, in terms of paid leadership roles as well. And research shows us that there are significant barriers um, to, you know, underrepresented and marginalized communities um, moving into those leadership. And, you know, those barriers are really about, um, you know, um, th- those barriers are really systemic. Um, And that can take a long time to address. But I think starting those conversations is huge, starting to look at this and really have those honest conversations about, you know, who is getting into leadership roles and why and what are the barriers that are stopping, for example, women of color from moving into those leadership roles um, you know, women of color who have significant expertise and experience. Um, great research out of the U.S. Um, I, I'll have to look it up. I got an email about it this morning. There's a very recent um, study that just talks about how significant those barriers are, and um, how it just ends up in us having you know a, a very homogenous um, group of folks in our leadership sector in our in our in our leadership roles. So. I'm heartened by the increased conversation and the increased commitment to this work, but I think we still have a long way to go in terms of addressing some of the barriers uh, that we need to be looking at that, that before we really move the needle.
1: Well, I, I'm looking forward to having a deeper conversation about barriers even later in this show. Um, uh, I just want to maybe invite some of the others, and maybe we'll start. Uh, Kieran, did you want to weigh in on, on, the, on that, that opening that I had or what your views are on diversity and inclusion?
4: Yeah, no, for sure. So, um, as somebody with a physical disability, like I started working, I think it was in oh god, 1996. And the reason why I was hired was I was a female with a disability and from a visible a visible minority. So, it was like affirmative action, right? And uh and it's it's nice to see that things have changed quite a bit. Um 20 years ago, that was the only way for me to get my foot into the door, unfortunately. Um, over the over the 20 years now, uh, I've seen a lot more uh, effort. People are, are seeing the qualities that people from different backgrounds bring to an organization because I think organizations, we need it to reflect what our society looks like. And our society is diverse. Therefore, our employee base should be diverse. Um, so it's nice to see that, um, but I, I agree that we still have a long ways to go, but we are making good progress.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I like the direction that we're heading in. I agree with that. I'm just curious about. I, I still don't see the workforce quite yet representing the population. So um, I, yeah. I, I I acknowledge that and uh, and thank you for that, Kieran. Who wants to? Uh, Martha or Ken? Did you want to weigh in?
5: I'll jump in here. Uh, Kieran and I are uh, had similar experiences. Along the way, I'm visibly diverse, I suppose, uh, in, in some aspects. Um, it was interesting. Many years ago, I was working for a large organization. I won't say who, but a large organization. And I was in the senior leadership role uh, for a national organization. And at one point, we got this director from the bosses in Toronto to fly that, you know, 30 or 40 of the senior leaders in this organization were flown across the country to Toronto, put into a room in a hotel, and we basically had a lecture from the bosses on how we needed to in- increase our diversity content. Um, it was a media company, and we needed to all increase our diversity content. And I remember I just started laughing because I looked around the room. Most of the people in there were male, uh, almost all, actually. Uh, I was the only visible minority on, in, the whole, in the whole room, and we were getting lectured on diversity and how we were supposed to push that down to our teams. And I just I literally started laughing because it just felt so absurd. <laughs> Now I do feel um, that we've come a long way from there, uh, but there is, uh, there are still gaps, and this is hard work. Um, I think uh, Emma said it beautifully when she said, "There's some systemic issues here. This is hard work." And I think one of the reasons—I don't want to get too modeling, but one of the reasons is it's because it's 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 scary. It's scary to, uh, look around and, and, realize we don't know how to do this very well. Uh, truth and reconciliation is a great example of that, where, you know, entire swaths of the culture are, they realize there's a problem, they want to rectify it, and they want to change it in their heart of hearts, but they don't know how. So I think these kind of conversations are actually really important, especially in the, in the, the sectors that we represent, where we're trying to good by pe- doing good by people in an authentic, an inclusive way. Um, this is not easy work, and so it's going to be choppy for a while, maybe for our whole lives, but uh, it's necessary. Thanks, Ken.
1: All right, Martha, you've heard them all. Now what do you want to say?
2: Sure. Well, part of what I want to say builds quite nicely on what Ken just shared. Uh, certainly, hopefully, what I'm going to say builds on though everything that's that's been said so far, and that's that First of all, AFP and my role as AFP chair, I would say that the the push and the emphasis uh, in the strategic plan, the cur- current strategic plan, which is 2017 to 2020, the number one pillar is around idea. And of course, you mentioned the terminology, inclusivity or inclusiveness, diversity, I- inclusion, you know, all, all those other terminologies around I and D, but the E and A, the equity and access, and, and I happen to think the access piece is kind of the heart of a lot of this, but, um, but where I wanted to go with this in terms of what Ken was just talking about is through our Women's Impact Initiative, which is the first of four initiatives we're doing under IDEA, uh, currently we're doing a pretty big push and focus on unconscious bias in the context of our mail, and that's M-A-L-E. I'm a Midwesterner, and sometimes the word mail doesn't, it sounds like maybe the mail being delivered. So I want to make sure it's clear that I'm saying mail allyship program. And so one of the things we're doing on the unconscious bias piece, and this is, I think, a lot of where what Ken just said comes in, is that that AFP asked me to do a short series of videos, kind of back-to-back two-minute videos. So I'm a afpglobal.org website. There's, you know, three two-minute videos back-to-back about unconscious bias, and essentially that video, while talking about it to anyone and everyone who wants to watch those videos, at the end of the day, what that video is really about is ensuring that men watching uh, can get, you know, a better understanding of how to be an ally in the context of, of our Women's Impact Initiative, but of course, not just in the context of uh, women—you uh, know, women who already are in leadership roles, per per what was uh, said earlier—but also in the context of women who are not in leadership roles and why that's happening and and how men can be allies to make to change that. To, and and this comes back to the comment about the systemic change that needs to come about. So I think the last thing I'll just say in this context, and then I'm happy to throw it back to you, Vincent, or whomever else, is that the thing I'm really proud of about our strategic plan, I, I mentioned that the number one goal, the number one pillar is focused in on IDEA. The second objective under that, we decided to really simplify this, and we actually went to some diversity uh, professional, a number of diversity professionals, both within AFP and without, and essentially our second objective on our strategic plan under goal one of IDEA is create a welcoming environment for diverse fundraising professionals, period, so that had not been in our strategic plan ever before, and it's one of the things I'm proudest of in terms of hopefully continuing to uh, have everyone moving in the you know right direction together.
1: Thanks for that, Martha. Um, I'd like to actually dig into, and, and just before I, I get there, I'll, I'll have, I have one comment, but uh, about some of the barriers that Emma talked about, because I really do think that's an interesting conversation to get to. But on the... On the uh, the sort of unconscious bias conversation, even in our own firm, um, one of my business partners, Scott Dexheimer, who's been involved with some of this stuff on the national stage at, at, at different levels with me, we were looking at posting a job position the other day. And oftentimes uh, in our jurisdictions, when we post a job description, um, we don't include the salary uh, or the salary range in the job description. And... Um, I, Scott was, uh, was indicating that there's research that shows that that actually works against diversity um, and inclusion um, because, you know, without that salary range, uh, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, people with diverse backgrounds or, 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 or women who are looking at roles will be uh, offered a lower salary than, uh, than what, a, 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 you know, the old, <laughs> the pale, a pale male might be offered. And, uh, and so that's an unconscious bias right there, uh, or maybe even a conscious bias. So I thought that was really interesting to start encouraging people to put salaries in the job descriptions is actually a move forward. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I'd also like to talk more importantly about barriers. Emma, did you want to maybe, um, talk a little bit more about what some of the significant barriers are?
3: Well, it connects very, actually opened up the, um, I opened up the research report I was talking about just so I could just so I could um, point people towards it. It's a great um, research report out of the states um, from the Building Movement Project. It's called Race to Lead, and it's about women research relating to women of color in the nonprofit sector. Um, and interestingly enough, talking about bias, um, they name uh, you know racial and gender bias as one of the top barriers. For women, um, you know, being identified and being promoted into leadership roles. So, um, does it help? Is it, does everyone understand what we mean uh, in terms of listeners when we're talking about implicit biases or unconscious biases? Is it useful to sort of go in a little more into that? I don't want to yes, yes, gigantic. Yes. but <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean it, it, I
1: think I think a, a brief intro to that would be very helpful.
3: Sure. Sure. Um, I I write about this fairly often. Um, I have a series on my website called um, The Inclusive Fundraiser and just talking about the ways in which um, we can look at ourselves and change our own behavior in terms of even our day-to-day practices as fundraisers, you know, working in our organizations and with donors. And um, this is one of the big things um, I often like to talk about with diversity and inclusion is the idea of starting with yourself first and just starting to examine your own biases. So biases are basically, they're often, they're called either implicit or unconscious, but it basically refers to the attitudes and the stereotypes that affect um, the way we work in the world. Um, they might impact like our understanding, our actions, our decision. And it's often really unconscious. It's like, it's a bit like an invisible operating system um, that's developed through associations that, you know, that we pick up over the course of our life starting at a super young age. Um, and it just ends up shaping our judgments about um, people's character, ability, and potential. Um, and, relate, you know, it, and it's often just, you know, n- not something that people are totally aware of. Um, and it impacts, you, you know, our causes to have feelings and attitudes about other people based on characteristics like race ethnicity, age, gender, sexuality, gender identity, disability status. Um, so, yeah, basically, it's, it's very often, you know, something that has developed that left unexamined um, impacts everything that we do. So, you know, who are you choosing in an interview process? Who are you reaching out to to join your board? Um, how are you interacting with your donors and your coworkers? Who's getting more airtime in meetings? So, all of those pieces come together to impact the way we operate in the world and also create barriers to people uh, being able to move up into leadership roles because of the assumptions we're making because of this, this sort of invisible operating system that we've developed over our lifetime through messages we've picked up.
1: All right. So clearly we need to know more about bias. Um, uh, who yeah. wants to tag
5: into that? Who wants to tag into that? i have um am i think that your perspective is exactly right it's interesting, particularly as we look at the world of fundraising um one of the things that um i've i've seen and 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 you know i I haven't done the research uh, anywhere far as 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 extensively as you have, but one of the things i've seen is there's this there's this uh tyranny of sameness that homogeneity that we have, especially in the equation of fundraising when there's uh, cultivations to happen or solicitations to happen or networking that happens as you're trying to move towards a goal you know with, whether you 're with a cabinet or a you know a collection of individuals that are are, are trying to move something uh, forward uh, there's there's two things that happen one is the uh, um, sort of that that notion of who do you know you know there is a sure of course there's art and there's science as Vincent has taught me well uh, to you know to creating a network of people that you might be engaging with around a around an idea but um, generally, we we turn to our own little, you know, internal Rolodexes and say, who do I know that fits the characteristics of what we're trying to do and how we're trying to move things along? And if you actually look at most people's internal Rolodexes, we live in pretty small worlds. I'm sitting in northeast Calgary right now, uh, which is a very diverse part of our community here in this city. And um, even though I'm a visible minority myself and grew up with, you know, Indian parents uh, that moved here in first generation uh, uh, I'm, I don't get up here very much. And it's funny, because if you said to me, Ken, who's some of the, who are some of the thought leaders and the networkers that, that could help us move this forward, I could phone a few friends and figure it out. But I have to work relatively hard. I think we all have these very small circles. Then the other thing that happens, especially when, when we're uh, you know, actively engaging in community building, networking, fundraising, um, is that whole notion of comfort. People want to be comfortable, whatever that means, with the person across with them, from the, the group across from them, and that means we 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 don't make the brave choices on who to have in the room, or who to listen to if if they're in the room. Um, so I think there's a there's a bit of courage that needs to happen on these kind of things. Um, uh, it's 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 difficult to sort of uh to to grasp onto, but wow, I've been in some amazing rooms with conversations happening with a really diverse group of people, and. It, it doesn't even matter what level they're at. You know, they could be, uh, you know, at the YMCA we have everybody from, you know, 16-year-old lifeguards on the pool to, uh, titans of industry, uh, you in know, in our circle. But some of the most interesting and, uh, and vivid conversations I can remember are when there are just, there's a clash of ideas or there's just a different group of people activating and connecting. And, um it takes a lot of work and a lot of uh, curation to get there. And I think, I won't say we're lazy. I just think it's difficult, so it's scary. Thanks, Ken. Who wants to
1: tag into uh, what's been talked about already? Kieran or Martha?
2: Sure, it's it's Martha. Thanks, Vincent. So, I think to tag into to what has been said by Emma and Mike, I think I have two thoughts. One is I really love Ken. What you just said about I I. Constantly have these discussions with folks of all different kinds of backgrounds about this comfort zone piece, and it's very hard, even for for some of the most self-aware of us, right, to push ourselves out of our comfort zone and push ourselves out of what are currently our um, uh, you know, let's say most entrenched communities in terms of our background. One of the words that, you know, gets used is tribe, and of course I think that that word can unfortunately be uh, be a, you know, trigger for certain things, and so I'm careful. Language, of course, with all of this, with everything we're talking about today is so critically important, but the thing I do like is I love uh, the book by Sebastian Junger, Junger, J-U-N-G-E-R, called Tribe, because I do think it comes back to a lot of this idea around, you know, what are the communities that we're all drawn to and why. But getting back to the the point here of what Ken was saying, I I think we really do have to, I love that you said brave, Ken, because I do think we have to be very, very self-aware of and, frankly, quite vigilant about pushing ourselves out of what might be a certain comfort zone. So I think that that's the first thing that really... Came to mind when you were talking about that, and then I think the other piece that I'm seeing a lot with uh, with my work uh, again through in my role as AFT chair is that you know we've talked a lot so far today about diversity in terms of uh, you know racially and culturally. I think another thing that I uh, I find challenging sometimes uh, through AFT is that we've got some. Some issues, I think, around the generational, uh, pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone. And, you know, unfortunately, one of the, one of the audiences, one of the groups, uh, that has gotten the most, I would say, uh, kind of targeted negatively in the media tends to be the millennials. And so I find myself also with many colleagues in conversations around people making assumptions about, um, all millennials or, or, you know, stereotypes. And I feel that that's, you know, that's a whole other area, right? That whether it's, whether we're talking sexuality, racially, culturally, uh, whether we're talking religion, whether we're talking age, uh, that we've really got to work on because again, there's that comfort zone of, uh, I'll just throw it out there. I'm 55 and so I, there are, you know, moments when I have to push myself out of the comfort zone of hanging out with you know a lot of other people who are my same age because that's not going to be as rich an experience for my life or my professional or personal life if I if I don't do that. So I, I think that applies really across the board in, in my experience.
1: Thanks for highlighting the demographics of uh, 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 being a diverse group as well, Martha. I really appreciate that. Kieran, um, you've been you've been listening for a few minutes. Did you want to? um uh, share with us some of your thoughts on what we've been talking about?
4: Yeah, no, for sure. I actually really like what Martha brought up. Um, see, I think this kind of comes down to, like, uh, ignorance. So it's not that we're, like, we're, we, it, it's not a bad term, actually. It's just something that happens. So um, being someone with a disability, like, I I remember one of the places that I worked at and uh, the guy who hired me, he actually... Had no idea what my limitations were because he, I, I just he looked at my scores like we were we went through a vetting process and, uh, and I ended up getting the highest scores so basically the you know I got chosen for the interview and so when I came in and he saw that I had an impairment um, he was like wow and this is a large like national corporation and he said I'm going to be upfront you had the highest scores from everyone else but we have never hired anyone here with a disability before. And I have no idea what to do. This was about 20 years ago. So something that's worked for me is that I am an open book. And Vincent, I think you've been witness to this. You can ask me anything. Anything. Mm-hmm. And I will share with you whatever you want to know. Because the thing is, people just don't know. And we live in this society where we're super polite and we don't ask. And and I'm the same way. Like I have, brought up, uh, you brought up millennials, Right. And so when I had my pizza shop, I had to hire millennials. That was the generation that was going to work. And these kids are completely different and have different values than what I've been raised with. But the thing is, we need to look at every group because that group is a part of our society at large and see what they bring to the table. And yes, millennials are different, but they bring very unique skill sets. That I don't have, right, number one is social media. I had a sixteen year old managing my social media account, they're so <laughs> great, you know, and it, I mean it's true, but they were that it was the best the, it was the best little girl who did that for me, you know, and so it's I think the idea is like to we we need to open up our mind, we need to reduce our ignorance. We need people out there from these different demographics to like share the qualities, share what they bring to the table. So we need people to um, share information and then ourselves, we need to open up our mind to receive that and to understand what they bring to the table.
1: Thank you and I I love that you you reminded everybody about how important it is to be, well to use Ken's word, to, to also be personally courageous about what you're willing to share and and the fact that you don't know anything about something or that you're willing to go to a particular place or to share something about yourself. So I'm, I'm thankful you, you did that for us, Kieran. I'm also mindful of time. And I have to say, out of all the podcasts that I've done, I felt like we got into a topic and maybe got not to the middle, but into, but with this one, I feel like we just introduced it. Um, <laughs> and so I, 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 I foresee um uh a uh, a series of podcasts where we can have some really interesting conversations around diversity and inclusion. Um I uh I, I don't think we can we can do this topic full justice today um unless you've all got a couple hours because I'll just close my door <laughs> but no. Um I think we need to to draw uh draw this to a close. It's been a fantastic conversation and I think we just scratched the surface, but it was a they were big scratches. They were really important things to put on the table, some really good resources. Um I, I'm not sure uh, if this is the title of this episode, but oftentimes it emerges. So I kind of put together two ideas. But I'm still wrestling with it. You can you can all put thumbs down on this, but I I might go you know diversity and inclusion pale male and stale colon the tyranny <laughs> of sameness. Uh, so, so you know who knows It'll, it's a catchy title for sure. Uh, maybe not uh, fully representative of what we talked about, but definitely we'll we'll go there. So thank you. Uh, you've all been great guests, Kieran, Ken, Emma, Martha. I can't wait to have each of you back in our podcast, but but before we go, I want each of you to have a chance to tell, tell us a bit more about what you're working on, where the best places people can reach you, uh, you know, something you want the audience to hear. So Ken, uh, uh we're going we're going to start with you. What what do you want the listening audience to hear or to know from you as we close this out?
5: I just want um I had an interesting experience that uh I think is worth sharing today uh, simply because uh it's it's fresh in my mind, but it's also something that's germane to this podcast. Uh we run large centers all across uh Calgary, uh centers of community we call them, YMCAs. There's gyms, there's pools, there's all sorts of great gathering spaces for people in community. Um, this week we had an interesting moment. Um I obviously look after the brand uh at YMCA Calgary as part of my, my my work in community engagement. And we had somebody show up with a camera. Uh this person is part of a political party, a registered federal political party. In Canada, that has a very, very jaundiced view of immigration and uh, engagement and social policy around welcoming newcomers. Uh, They took a video camera. They wandered around our facility and basically talked about anti-globalization and anti-immigration and all of this stuff. They put it online and they scared the bejesus out of our community. This happened at a YMCA within 48 hours of this conversation we're having. There's work to be done. That's what I wanted to say. There's work to be done. Even in one of the most special and safe and brave spaces in, that we've helped to cultivate in our community, these stale things still happen. And there was a whole, don't never read the comments, but if you read the comments on what was posted by this this person, um, he was unabashed, and so were a whole bunch of people out there. There's work to be done. We need to keep going on this stuff. So find the organizations and the groups in your city or your community uh, that maybe take a different view and if this is scary territory lean into a bit and, and and think about it in a different way because there's a whole bunch of other people out there that are that are thinking about it uh, maybe not in the most positive way but i think we outnumber them so keep at it yeah.
1: well thank you for that call to action and uh and really inspiration uh the fact that it happened isn't inspirational but what we can do about it is thank you ken kieran what do you want to leave the audience with today
4: all right. Well, think along the same lines. Uh, I actually wanted to encourage everyone to attend uh, Disability Pride Alberta 2019. So
2: it's Yay. on Sunday,
4: June 9. Yeah, <laughs> it's on Sunday, June 9. And we actually had the first parade last year in Alberta. and It was a huge success. So uh, it brought together um, various people of different abilities. And it really helped redefine the perception of disability to the public. So Check out uh, DisabilityPrideAlberta.com to get more details, and you can even read some disability stories to help you understand the different pieces of disability.
1: Thank you, Kieran, and I'm so glad that the, I was listening for the date. I'm going, okay, that's after the podcast. Good, good, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, yes. they'd have to be time travelers. So thank you for that, Kieran. Martha, what do you want people to, 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 to hear from you today?
2: Thanks, Vincent. So I, I'm going to share, uh, while we're sharing dates of wonderful upcoming events, I wanted to share that the Women's Impact Summit, the AFP Women's Impact Summit, the first of its kind, is being held in Phoenix uh, from October 5th to October 6th, which for those who are attending Leadership Academy, it's right when it essentially Uh, goes right from Leadership Academy into uh, the Women's Impact Summit. So we're very excited about that. And one uh, speaker we've already signed up is Kim Churches from the American Association of University Women. She's the CEO, and Vincent and I know her well, and she's fantastic. Uh, Personal friend, great woman. She's phenomenal. So that's my plug uh, for, for AFP. And then I suppose my plug for uh my my uh my partnerships and, and my business is that I uh, uh Vincent started out today talking about my father Hazen and I named my business after him about sixteen years ago and so Hazen and the Hazen Institute for Leadership Training, which are my two businesses, uh you can find me at Martha Maven, M F M A V E N, on Twitter. So thanks so much again, Vincent. Really appreciate it.
1: That's a great Twitter handle. Thanks, Martha, and thank you for sharing um, that stuff about the Women's Impact Initiative, and I can't wait to go see uh, that and Kim, so I'll see if we can make that happen. Emma, you get to close us out. What do you want to leave the audience with?
3: I love it. I just want to touch back on the ideas of the skills that we can use and build on um, to help um, us each take personal action and just the idea of courage and stretching out of your own comfort zone. And I'll add one in to think on and that's empathy. And I think that's hugely important um, in terms of cultivating that so you can be a better ally. So I have a few great tools I want to lead you with. One, if you're interested in finding out more about what implicit biases, biases you may have, there's a great tool online. It's It's called the Implicit Association Test. So you Google that, you'll find it. And uh, just a great way to sort of look at and measure some of those biases that you may have that you're not necessarily aware of. It's a great place to start when you're doing your own self-reflection and your own work. I'll also encourage folks to visit our Inclusive Giving website. It's at afpinclusivegiving.ca. There's tons of practical resources on here. We're currently posting all of the new projects that the fellows have been working on. These are really practical things you can implement at your organization. Um, there are also research projects on really interesting topics like diversity and corporate social responsibility, uh the philanthropic sector and truth and reconciliation. So there's lots of amazing reading there. Um, if you want to continue, uh, you know, looking for resources and even practical policies, processes, and practices, you can start implementing in your own organization. Wonderful resource. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention where you could find me, which is blueskyphilanthropy.com. I love writing about and talking about all of these issues and often do on my on my weekly blog and in my weekly videos. Um, and uh, I have a recent video that's been really popular on how to make your communications more accessible. Um, and it's a super quick watch with some really practical ideas about uh, things like captioning your videos. So do check me out and let's continue the conversation there.
1: Thank you, Emma. What a way to cap it out. With that, our gift. Of another Brain Trust Philanthropy powered by Vitreo has been committed.
0: Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you'll join us next month when our topic will be taking care of yourself first, mental health for fundraisers and nonprofit leaders. We look forward to talking with you soon. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. You can subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes or by visiting our website at vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.